Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. All right. Good morning, Quest. How are you today? The uh, first segment of the video montage was for my fellow old-timers here. How many recognize Maynard G. Krebs? All right. There are actually a few more people in the first service, so uh, it tells me, um, tells me that I'm getting old. So Maynard G. Krebs is the beatnik sidekick of the title character in the U.S. sitcom The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. The Krebs character was portrayed by Bob Denver before he was Gilligan. For those of you who are Gilligan Islands, Gilligan's Island fans, whenever the word work is mentioned, even in passing, he yells, work, and jumps with fear or even faints. I know a few people like that who scatter whenever manual labor is involved. And how about the workplace example of our two friends in the second video? Is that just not perfect? I think we should all take that into the workplace this week and watch the workplace empty out. So what, what enters your mind when you think about work? Um, working for the man, working for nine to five, what a way to make a living. You know, for so many of us, work is a frustrating experience. Last year, Manpower Group released a survey of, of workers in the U.S. and Canada. Only 19% were satisfied in their jobs. 16% were somewhat satisfied, but nearly two-thirds of the respondents said they were not happy at work. 21% were somewhat unsatisfied. 44%, nearly half, said they were unsatisfied at work. So it's understandable why some, even some in the church, view work as part of the curse of man. You know, the subject of faith in the work, workplace raises very real questions. What's the purpose of work? How can I find meaning and serve customers in a cutthroat, bottom-line-oriented workplace? How can I use my skills in a vocation that has meaning and purpose? Can I stay true to my values and still advance in my field? How do I make difficult career choices in the, in the er, difficult choices that must be made in the course of a career? So uh, while we're talking today, if you have questions, feel free to text those in to Dusty, and we'll be uh, tackling those at the end as we have every week. But, you know, today we're talking about faith in the workplace, and there's a groundswell of interest in this topic. I put faith in the workplace into Google and got 30,200,000 results. Pretty amazing. 8,100,000 articles posted on this subject, faith in the workplace. Pastor and author Tim Keller writes, perhaps not since the Protestant Reformation has there been so much attention paid to the relationship of Christian faith to work as there is today. Many believe that work is part of the curse resulting from the fall of Adam and Eve. And we see in Scripture, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. There's a fun picture of work. Tim Keller notes, in a fallen world, work is frustrating and exhausting. One can easily jump to the conclusion that work is to be avoided or simply endured. And because our disordered hearts crave affirmation and validation, it's just as tempting to be thrust in the opposite direction, making all of life about accomplishment and very little else. No wonder so many are unsatisfied in their work. So the question today is, what's God's view of work? Did God design it, or is it just part of the curse? Tim Keller writes, in the beginning, there was work. 
John Byron, Ph.D., professor of New Testament at Ashland Theological Seminary, writes this, Of the many images and metaphors we use to describe and explain God, he is also worker. In contrast to Greek mythology, where the gods sit around drinking wine and meddling in the affairs of human beings, the God of the Bible is a worker. Indeed, the Bible begins talking about work at the start. The author of the book of Genesis describes God's creation of the world as work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, in the beginning, God worked. He worked for the sheer joy of work. Work could not have had a more exalted inauguration than the creation of the world by the living God. We read in Genesis 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of His work that He had done in creation. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. The implication is that while God works as our provider, we're also to work for Him. And indeed, he works through us. And it's most noteworthy that God worked. God worked. And he ordained man to work before the fall in the subsequent curse in Genesis 3. John Byron continues, as God's creation, we have a divine mandate to work. In Genesis 2, God not only creates humanity, but places them in the garden to work and take care of it. The curse that is later to attach to work doesn't make the work the curse. True, our work is harder and can be difficult at times, but it is not part of God's curse. Work has been part of the human experience from the beginning of creation. So God worked, and he designed us to work. God, therefore, has a very high view of work. Chuck Colson wrote in Work as Ministry, In the ancient world, the Greeks and Romans looked upon manual work as a curse, something for lower classes and slaves. But Christianity changed all that. Christians viewed work as a high calling, a calling to be co-workers with God in unfolding the rich potential of his creation. This high view of work can be traced throughout the history of the church. In the Middle Ages, the guild movement grew out of the church. It set standards for good workmanship and encouraged members to take satisfaction in the results of their labor. Later, during the Reformation, Martin Luther preached that all work should be done to the glory of God. Whether ministering the gospel or scrubbing floors, any honest work is pleasing to the Lord. Out of this conviction grew the Protestant work ethic. Tim Keller notes, This high view of work, connected with divine, orderly creation and human purpose, is distinct among the great faiths and belief systems of the world. So as noted, work came became hard after the fall, but God ordained it before the fall. The cross restored meaning and purpose to our work lives, redeeming it in a way for us to worship God. In fact, I was interested to see that the English terms work and worship that we read in the Old Testament are derived from the same Hebrew word, avadah, which means divine service or worship, the joy of serving God. Both work and worship come from the same root word. Tim Keller has said that work has dignity because it is something God does and because we do it in his place as his representatives. 
You know, much has been written about this Judeo-Christian work ethic. And the term Judeo-Christian refers to the influence of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament on one systems of values, laws, and ethical code. Ingrained deeply within this is the willingness and desire to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. This independent spirit has no desire to exist on handouts from the government or benevolence or friendships. Indeed, we read in Second Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. My good friend uh, Chip Ingram just got back from a uh, trip to China. A number of uh, Christian leaders were invited by the Billy Graham Association to go over there and talk to um, Christian leaders and government leaders. And just an amazing example that Chip was, was sharing with us. The Chinese official who oversees the relationship with the Christian church in China noted that, you know, clearly the government gets nervous when you have large gatherings there. They don't want large gatherings in Tiananmen Square or things that might up, upset their regime. But they embrace the Christian church. And the reason they do that is they've taken note of the impact of Christianity on their workforce. The communist government has recognized that Chinese Christian workers have impacted productivity. Their work ethic, excellence, has led to more production, less strife, and a better social order. Is that not amazing? The Chinese government, the communist government, recognizes where they have lots of Christian workers that things are different. May it be so in our workplace as they see Christ in us. Just an amazing story. So work has dignity, but what kinds of work bring dignity? The Greek thinkers saw ordinary work, especially manual labor, as relegating human beings to the animal level. And like Greek thinkers, our culture often stigmatizes work such as farming, child care, manual labor jobs that are supposedly not knowledge jobs, and therefore sometimes don't pay as well. But we learn through Scripture that not only does work have dignity, but all kinds of work can have dignity. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, Keller writes about Mike. Mike's been a doorman in New York City for 22 years since emigrating uh, from Croatia. His attitude is, is contagious. He cares deeply about the people in the building and takes pride in helping them. He works out of gratefulness for the job and for his life. Most of the people Mike serves are probably professionals, glad not to be the doorman. But Mike recognizes the dignity of the work that he is doing. Can you think of anyone like Mike that so fully impacts um, uh, and works unto God that they are impacting the world around them regardless of the type of work that they do? You know, Mike's story reminds us that we are built for work and the dignity in it gives us human beings, regardless of our status or pay, that we get dignity from work. Think about this. God's own work in Genesis 1 and 2 is manual labor. As he shapes us out of the dust and he plants a garden. In Genesis, we see God as a gardener. In the New Testament, we see him as a carpenter. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. Keller writes this, Physical labor is God's work no less than the formulation of, of theological truth. All kinds of work have dignity because it reflects the material creation we are call, called to care for, because God's creation is good. Christians cannot look down on labor that involves more intimate contact with the material world. Caring for and cultivating this material world has worth, even if it means cutting the grass. That also means that secular work has no less nobility than sacred work. 
You know, many Christians think that the calling of pastor or missionary is the most spiritual vocation, whereas a blue-collar or white-collar job might be the least spiritual. So let's explore what Scripture has to say about that. I love the quote by Oswald Chambers who says, The spiritual manifests itself in a life which knows no division into sacred and secular. God's Word makes clear that there is no vocation less spiritual than any other when done with a heart of integrity to serve the Lord. Let me repeat that. God's Word makes it clear there is no vocation less spiritual than another when done with a heart of integrity to serve the Lord. Yet our enemy has deceived many workplace workers into viewing their vocation as an unspiritual activity and not a ministry, other than the fact that they might be able to make money to give to the church. You know, furthermore, there seems to be this unspoken spiritual hierarchy that ranks vocations based on their religious appearance and labels that we put on them. In the spirit of discipline, Dallas Willard writes this, The division of the legitimate roles and functions of human life into the sacred and secular does incalculable damage to our individual lives and the cause of Christ. Holy people must stop going into church work as their natural course of action and take up holy orders in farming, industry, law, education, banking, journalism with the same zeal previously given to evangelism or to pastoral or missionary work. You know, history is replete with examples of people who have made major kingdom impact in secular jobs. One of my favorite stories is of William Wilberforce, who at age 26 came to Christ. And when he did, he almost quit politics to go into the ministry because he thought it to be a higher calling. Fortunately for us, a converted slave, converted slave trader named John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, challenged Wilberforce to stay where God could use him most in politics, where he courageously led a movement that gradually eliminated slavery through 69 initiatives that he piloted, changing his nation and changing our world in the marketplace where God had called him. In the true story, Chariots of Fire, a young Scottish man who grew up in China named Eric Liddell was confronted by his sister for his decision to run in the Olympics rather than returning with her to the mission field immediately. His response to her was simple. God made me for a purpose, he said. He made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know, Eric's response to his sister showed a more biblical theology of work than that of his sister who saw no eternal value in his athletic skill. So when you work, do you do so with an eternal purpose? Do you feel the pleasure of God? In Colossians 3, 23, 24, Paul exhorts us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you're serving in the marketplace tomorrow morning as you go to work. Now, perhaps one of the most exciting things I see happening today is the importance of the marketplace as a mission field. I love these quotes. Uh, Dr. Billy Graham has said, I believe one of the next great moves of God is going to be through believers in the workplace. Marketplace leaders will be to this century what medical missionaries were to the last century. You know, there are many, many places in the world now that missionaries can't go. But workers can. And there are some great examples of people that go to other countries to work. And in reality, they're missionaries sharing the good news of the gospel. Maybe we should think about our jobs that way. That God has put us where he's put us in the workplace that we will go to this week 
as missionaries to that place. People that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and need to be loved. Henry Blackaby said, God is marshalling his people in the workplace as never before. God is up to something. The next spiritual awakening could take place in the marketplace. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, said, God has begun an evangelism movement in the workplace that has the potential to transform our society as we know it. I love what Oz Hillman said. He said this, Consider where Jesus spent most of his time. Of 132 public appearances in the New Testament, 122 were in the marketplace. Of 52 parables Jesus told, 45 had a workplace context. Of 40 divine interventions recorded in Acts, 39 were in the marketplace. That's where Jesus was. Have you ever thought, he writes, about the fact that the Savior of the world worked in his, uh, his earthly father's secular carpentry business for the majority of his life? What does that say about God's view of daily work? You may be called to be a mechanic, a doctor, a secretary, or a CEO. Know that your calling is equal to that of the pastor or vocational Christian worker. The key is to be where God has called you and to live for his glory in that place. You are a servant of the living God, masquerading as a mechanic, a doctor, a secretary, or a CEO. Powerful words. So our series here over the last number of weeks has been focused on placing relationships above differences. So how can we do that as Christians at work? Let me give you three attributes that I think can really help us as we zone in on how God may use us at work. One of the ways that we can make a difference is by working with excellence, a model of a quality of excellence. Uh, Frida is a receptionist at one of the businesses that uh, we have called on. And when you walk into this business, Frida greets you with a smiling face and a warmth that is just somewhat amazing. Uh, she graciously helps you find where you're going, makes you comfortable as you wait to meet your party, gives you something to drink. She just greets you in a way that is just uh, just so inviting. She is so impactful that she's known far and wide by people who have visited this office. I've literally talked to other people who have been to this place, and they know Frida. She now has the title Director of First Impressions. This is the receptionist at a business. And she has become one of the most important and irreplaceable employees that they have. Perhaps she knows that we are to work like Daniel. After the Persian conquest of Babylon, Daniel is one of three senior administrators of the empire in the reign of Darius. And we read in Scripture, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Now, these are the guys who were governors of the provinces. To be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king may suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. You know, the work of Christians should be excellent in every way. Regardless of the position that we're in, we should strive to be excellent employees. Excellent business associates because the Spirit of God is operating within us. And God has called us to that place to reflect Him. Attribute number two is the foundation of ethics and integrity. I love this story about uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He once played a practical joke on 12 respected and very well men that he knew, uh, well-known men. He sent out 12 telegrams with the same message on each. Flee at once, all is discovered. 
Within 24 hours, all 12 men had left the country. Obviously, each of these men had something to hide. I love Psalm 15, uh, the ethics psalm, if you will, and I particularly like the way the message paraphrases it. God, who gets invited to dinner at your place? How do we get on your guest list? Walk straight, act right, tell the truth, don't hurt your friend, don't blame your neighbor, despise the despicable, keep your word even when it costs you, make an honest living, never take a bribe. You will never get blacklisted if you live like this. There are some good words. Melissa and I uh, attended a meeting in New York recently, and I heard uh, Harry Kastner, who is an executive of the company by the name of Bandwidth. They are a leading technology company serving a wide range of customers in the IP-based business, and they literally um, talk to companies about how much bandwidth they need to, to run their, their Internet uh, world. And he tells a story about five years ago. They're this young company. They had raised capital in order to be in business, and they're burning through cash rapidly as in more expenses than dollars coming in, and, you know, things don't look too good. And around that uh, are, are also one of, the, one of the, the key founding tenets of the companies. These guys were Christians, and they decided they were not going to consult with or work with companies that were the normal customers for somebody in the bandwidth world, people in the pornography business or people in the gambling business. They weren't going to, to, to work with them. And so... Um, one of their salespeople um, had a major sale of a, of a big company, big revenue that was going to come in. They were all excited about it. And as they began to dig into this company, this new client that they would have, they discovered that part of the revenue, a small part, but part, part of the revenue of the company came from the pornography business. And they had a decision to make. And they had a decision to, to, to test their ethics and their integrity. And they decided that they were not going to work with that company. Because God called them not to do that, and they, they weren't going to go back on that. Then they had another interesting decision, because the salesperson who made the sale, according to them, did everything right by the book. Wouldn't have known, couldn't have known. The salesperson had a wife and young children. They had a decision, do they honor that salesperson by paying them this largest commission they'd ever paid when that person did everything right, and they were burning through cash? And they decided they were going to pay that person. A month later, they had another major sale and then another major sale, and the business turned around. We are now four years later, and bandwidth is one of the fastest-growing technology companies in the world. As God honored their decision to walk with integrity before him. Just an amazing story. So a foundation of ethics and integrity, very important for us in the workplace. The final attribute is extravagant love and service. You know, the old adage is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Catherine Alsdorf has written, The gospel reminds us that God cares about the products we make, the companies we work for, and the customers we serve. He loves not only us, but loves the world and wants us to serve it well. My work is a critical way in which God is caring for humans and renewing the world. What a wonderful way to view work. I love this summary of God's design for work written by my friend Doug Cooper. Doug is executive director of the City Gates Initiative at Ashland Theological Seminary. And he writes this, Because God awakened me to a sacred calling within my slice of the marketplace, I became aware of the potential for every aspect of my work to be sacred. Helping a sales rep through his wife's terminal illness, sacred. Being chosen to lead a team that would discern the 10-year trajectory of our company, 
sacred. Protecting a gay employee from cruelly being cruelly bullied by his co-workers, sacred. Being loyal and encouraging to a difficult boss, sacred. Praying with co-workers for our company and for our employees, sacred. Being an encouraging force in a cynical work environment, sacred. Telling my God story to a broken associate, sacred. Working really hard to perform my job at a level of excellence and skill that honors God, sacred. He writes this, viewing all of this as good, sacred work gave my life divine purpose and freedom. It became very clear to me that God had extended to me a personal invitation to join him in making his presence and character known, where neither pastors nor church programs were invited nor welcome. He gave me the great privilege of seeing his kingdom seep into conversations and situations all around me in ways that connected people with him. My experience shook the way I had previously viewed uh, the borders and the approach of the church. I didn't realize that I was feeling the tremors of a much greater movement. Can you see the design and dignity and purpose of work in that statement? So as we have every week, we have uh, time now for question and answers. Uh, Joe Simonette and uh, Denise Snowden have volunteered their expertise today and uh, did a wonderful job in the first service. I was nervous that uh, perhaps there might be a few sex questions left over from last week. But we didn't get any of those, so uh, hopefully uh, Dusty doesn't throw us any curveballs. So, uh, Dusty, what's the first question? All right. Well, just to remind you, if you do ask a question that doesn't uh, get asked in the service, I would recommend you go back and listen to uh, the podcast from the 915 service later this week, as if there are any repeats. I'll probably be omitting those, but lots of questions this week, uh, lots and lots, so we'll get to as many as we can. The first is, I have heard people say Christians should excel at their jobs. Where does that leave those of us that just aren't that good at our job? Are we being bad witnesses? Wow. Glad I have my expert panel with me. <laughs> Who wants to handle that one? Well, I, I, I'm not that good at my job. <laughs> no, I... I do my best, and and uh, they wouldn't continue to have me do it if I if it wasn't adding some value. So I, I think uh, our role here on earth is not to be perfect. Our role is to become better, become what God designed us to be. So whatever you do, do it with as with excellence, and be really trying to learn and how to get better. And also be thinking about, is this really my gifting? You know, should I be shifting to some place else where he's gifted me more to make the contribution into his plan? Thoughts? Denise described herself in the first service as a manipulator. A coach. Because she coaches people. <laughs> and she positively manipulates them. So she actually said that. So how would you do that, coach? How, how, how would you say to that person? Uh, the best time to find another job is when you already have a job. Number one, so you want to stick to it, whatever you're doing, but at the same time, um, you want to be in your element. You're going to only serve the Lord the best way if you use the gifts that he has given you. Um, and it's really important to help that person, or if this is you, to help discover what your strengths are and how God um, created you. And then you're probably not happy. Whoever wrote this is, probably knows that maybe, you know, if I'm not good at my job, I definitely aren't, I'm not getting fulfillment out of it. I wouldn't say I'm probably satisfied with my job. So I would want to help that person identify the things they are good at, help them 
seek a new position while they're still maintaining their current position so that it's a two-way street. It should be reciprocal. You should be getting as much joy out of your job as you are giving joy to it. Great, Kochi. Um, and one of the business truths is uh, in, in a business endeavor, you get the right people on the bus and then get the right people in the right seats on the bus, which gets to roll, okay? So maybe there's a different role within the company that you're in that you would, would play uh, better than what you're doing today, or perhaps maybe look for, for other opportunities. Dusty? Very good. All right, our next one. If I have the opportunity and ability to pursue further education or promotions, etc., but choose not to, am I wasting my talent? Should we try to go as high as we can? Good, good question. I'll start with you. Uh, my first instinct is to say you don't have to go as high as you can. In fact, I just took a job that I bring home half the amount of money as I used to as a consultant. And I'm, my, my name is in the pool to become a professor at Ohio State, which means my pay is going to be cut in half again. So I think it's about knowing who you are again in your giftedness and finding a place in which you can serve um, and the context doesn't really matter, I don't think. I, don't, I think if you have opportunities, they're placed in front of you for a reason. Um, and they're not always a godly reason. I mean, sometimes Satan pushes us in a direction because he's, um, you, you know, he knows that we're greedy. He knows we can become self-absorbed. And not every opportunity is one that God has um, placed in front of us. I would seek wisdom um, with friends and counsel that you trust, who know you and who know you well, and to help find a good fit. A couple of months ago when I was in my job search, I had some um, job descriptions come across my email. And Melissa and Ross are trusted friends of mine. And I sent them the job description and said, what do you think? Does this fit me. And they both gave me honest feedback, and I did not even apply for those positions. So you need to have trusted people in your life who will help you discern which way to go. Excellent. I, I just want to reinforce what she said about, you know, um, higher isn't necessarily better. It's serving your purpose and, and knowing what those are, um, what God wants you to do in your whole life with work being part of it and taking that perspective that you have a purpose, and there's different places, different roles in which you can serve it. That's great. Yeah. Dustin? What if past mistakes force someone to be in the job they are, uh, they are in? How can one have dignity in that? What past mistakes force someone to be These are good questions. I'm glad I'm asking you guys. <laughs> mm. Mm. A little bit confused. Past mistakes. I can understand past mistakes get you into a position for various reasons. Well, you are where you are. And um, what matters is what you do from here. And so you just look for, I would say, whatever opportunity you have uh, to do better and to follow God's purpose for you and to follow his will and, um, you know, to seek to, to get better. I don't think you have to worry. You just have to learn from the past and move on. You know, I would say trust the sovereign one. Okay, I made a mistake. And uh, perhaps that means I can't do that, but I'm here. You know, the Sovereign One forgives and he redeems and he cleanses us. And he's not shaken by the fact that you're in this place for a reason today. As a matter of fact, despite all that may have happened or, or a past mistake that he's forgiven, maybe he has you right where you are for a reason today. 
that there's a purpose and a dignity for you to be in that place. That's good. And you made the mistake, but he is going to redeem that and use you where you are. And you just got to believe that he's sovereign with your life, that he is in charge, and he has a purpose for you and a reason for you to be there. And don't lose sight of that. The faithful one's with you. Wait a minute. I want to answer that one. Okay. Sorry. I think there's an underlying, there's an underlying pain in this, um, a discontent. And when I was preparing to support this, I came across something and it was an aha. This might be helpful to whoever submitted this. In Ephesians chapter 6, most of us, you know, like I don't memorize scripture very well, but I know Ephesians chapter 6 is if you have a child from VBS, what is it? Put on the armor of God, right? That's what I would expect to find in Ephesians chapter 6. But here's what I found in Ephesians chapter 6, similar to the Colossians scripture earlier. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, wherever you are. There's no context given. Serve wholeheartedly as though you were serving the Lord. Ten verses later, in Ephesians chapter 6, we find, put on the armor of God. Okay, so that means all of us, no matter where we are, whether it's a job you like or not, we need to put on the armor of God every single day. I love how these are connected. It's not an accident that Paul put them both together in the same chapter of the same letter that he wrote. So we need to be really intentional. What are our spiritual disciplines that we do every day as we enter the workforce? Are you spending time with God? Are you praying for your coworkers? Are you praying for yourself? Uh, Are you putting on the armor of God so that when you go to the job, whether it's a great job that you have and you feel fulfilled or it's one that you feel like you're stuck in for a while, with that, you can get through it and you can do exactly what Joe said, which is that you're going to, you can excel and then, you know, doors will open for you. That's great. Great wisdom. Next question. Is it part of our frustration at work based on it's not where we should be? How do you determine God's calling? I can say one thing, that work is always going to be frustrating. <laughs> you know, parenting is going to be frustrating. Being a single person is, is frustrating. I think it's you know, just being part of the fallen work, world. So that's not a signal that you're in the wrong place. I mean, uh, that's what they call it, work, <laughs> that it's hard. <laughs> that part of that hard is what makes, us, makes it great, what makes us great, uh, is that challenge. You know, so you can become more of what God created you to be. And at the same time, you have to have the wisdom to know, is, is it hard because I'm just pursuing it in the wrong way? Am I in the wrong place? You do have to answer those questions. So that's what we always have to be wondering. But just because it's frustrating doesn't mean it's wrong. You mean, thoughts there? Uh, what comes to mind first is um, I've been facilitating prime movers this weekend, and there's three dimensions, core, capacity, and context that we want to look at, how God created us in our core um, what capacity or margin we have for serving the Lord and wherever we happen to be. And then lastly, the context, which is really important here. Um, maybe you're in the wrong place within the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you need to reflect on, on that. And I, I would you know, challenge this person or encourage them to really think about where am I using my gifts in my current work and where am I not? Like I'm finding out I like to be in the field. I'm just tired of traveling three out of four weeks a month. So like, but I'm finding out there's things I like and things I don't. Nothing's going to be a perfect fit. But if I could do more of what I like and less of what I don't and have some control over that, then that context is going to fit me a lot better. 
Amen. And I, I think that um, all work is going to be tough. This has been one of the most frustrating work years I've ever had. And um, I, yet I know that God has me where I am for a reason in the, in the marketplace. And, you know, we talked about work outside of the pastorate being important, but so is the work of the pastorate and missionary. You know, frequently I think, well, wouldn't it be great if I could just, you know, devote time doing that for God? And uh, that can be frustrating at times, can it, Russ? Leading people, being a pastor, being a missionary. When I talk to people who I love dearly who are in, the, who are in those jobs, there's frustration there. That doesn't mean they're in the wrong place. So, you know, I would just encourage you to seek God. Seek God, seek God, seek God first. And he'll answer that question. If, if you're not in the right place, he'll move you to a better place, a different place. And if you are, he'll help you endure that and bring a light right where you are. Do we have time for another one? Yes, we do. Uh, where is the outcry from our church or Christianity in general in regards to the wage differential between frontline employees and top executives? I feel there are very few individuals who deserve such outrageous salaries. That's similar to a question we yeah. had in the first service. Yeah. A little different thing. What are you talking about that, Joe? Well, you know, there's, you read about these outrageous um, things that some, some people earn. But, uh, you know, that's... That's that. I, I wouldn't worry about a few individuals. Yeah. I, I would instead focus on what can I do to provide more value that I will be rewarded for? What can I do and not get bitter about, about that? And if your employer, focus on being fair, that you're providing you know, the right wage and, and health care that that person needs in order to be able to do that job for you. I think we have to not be distracted by those things and instead focus on how I can be fair in terms of contributing even more than I'm being paid for. And ultimately, God will honor that. And uh, if you're an employer, you know, how can I be fair and make sure that I'm you know, sharing with that person what they're generating for our customer? That's great. Denise, you have any thoughts? I find that when people um, find extraneous points of comparison for themselves, it's really detrimental. And what I would suggest is to just focus on what's in your control. I don't control what people make way out there. I'm an educator, you know. So I have to focus on what's in my control or what's in my influence. And the things that are out of my control and out of my influence are going to drain my energy. God gives me the capacity to do so much in every single day. And I'm not going to waste my energy, my thought energy or my heart energy, um, thinking about something that I can't change. So I would say draw in, find out what you can control within your own world, and really focus your energy there. I know it might not be helpful because you feel unjust, but there, if we focus on injustice and all of those things that are out of our control, we would be very frustrated. Yeah, you know, my uh, job, I work for a major financial services company, and we're in the investment world. And I've seen more than my share of, uh, it's, it's Thanksgiving week, so I've seen a few turkeys running financial services firms. <laughs> um, and then other firms that we look at. So, you know, I understand that. But, you know, getting back to the issue of fairness, I mean, the first thing that comes into my mind is Joseph. So here I am, I did everything right, and I'm in prison, and I'm forgotten. And what, what, what did he do? He earned the trust of... Uh, the, the people in the prison, and he, and he, and he ran the prison, right? He, he was faithful right where God called him. Was that fair? No. No, not, any, not anywhere close. But he did every day what God called him to do, which was glorify God and, and to reflect God and to be faithful to God. And God lifted him up. He ran the whole kingdom, right? God didn't forget him in that place. 
And so I would just encourage us with that. Again, the faithful one is just that. So let's, let's hang on to him. Are, are we out of time? Do we have any more time? Uh, I'm down here now. <laughs> yeah, actually, if you, if, if you have any closing thoughts to share, the worship team will start coming. Anything? I want to share um, that Christ calls us to be salt and light, no matter where we are. And what's interesting about salt and light is that they both change the environment drastically wherever they are. Think of your food before and after salt. <laughs> Think of a room before and after you turn on the light. The question I would pose to you is, are you changing the environment wherever you work? If it's in the home or it's out of the home, are you salt and light? Or is the environment changing you? Because if the environment is changing you, then you're in an unhealthy situation. You really have to monitor that. So I encourage you to be salt and light and to change the environment where you work. Joe? I just have to honor that. Be the light. Demonstrate through your values and your behavior. That's the best thing you could do. Awesome. Thank you. Wonderful counsel. You know, Tim Keller sums it up uh, this way. He says, when your heart comes to hope in Christ and the future world that he has guaranteed, when you're carrying his easy yoke, you will find you will finally have the power to work with a free heart. You can gladly accept whatever level of success and accomplishment God gives you in your vocation because he has called you to it. You can work with passion and rest, knowing that ultimately the deepest desires of your heart, including your specific aspirations, for your earthly work will be fulfilled when you reach your true country, the new heavens and the new earth, so that at any time, in any place, you can work with joy, satisfaction, and no regrets. I want to call your attention to some resources here before we, we worship. Just some books. I've quoted uh, a number of these throughout uh, my time today. Every Good Endeavor is a great book by Tim Keller. Um, the Marketplace, God in the Marketplace book by Henry Blackaby, Oz Hillman's The 9 to 5 Window, just really good resources about this if you're looking for some of the questions that you asked and, and, and uh, others that, that you may have. So at this time, I want to call um, Joe Simonette and Denise Snowden up. They have uh, graciously volunteered to assist me in answering questions. And um, as they work their way up here, Dusty, you'll uh, let us know what questions we have. I hope there's no leftover questions from the sex talk last week. <laughs> yeah, we can't top that. Yeah. Now, Jeremy was hoping I could hand off the overflow to you. <laughs> okay. um, just to let you know real quick, uh, if you do have a question that you would like to text in, and, and if we don't get to them, uh, I would encourage you to listen to our podcast uh, because it does have Q&A from both services on there. You can text us at 614-835-7857 or log on to one of our free cafe networks fatq.gotoquest.org to submit questions there as well. I'll go ahead and hand the first one off to you. It says, are there any work fields that Christians should avoid being part of because of the ethics of a company or that job field in general? Well, you've heard from me enough. Joe, would you like to? I I think the key word is because of the ethics of the company. You know, uh, you have to make sure that you're aligned with the values of that company and whether you can align with them. It's why they're doing what they're doing because eventually all the tasks and, and all the, um, you know, the, the way in which they conduct business might not cross your, would cross your values and you need to find a place where it's aligned with your values. And particular task, I think it's probably more the exception than the, than the rule, you know. 
most of the time you're asked to do things that are of value to people, you know. I don't know what you think, Denise. The Bible tells us that we are called to be salt and light. Not one or the other, but both. And something that both of those have in common is that they both drastically change the environment in which they are, whether you are salt or light. Hopefully we're both. So if you are working in a place that maybe isn't as ethical as you'd like, are you changing the environment? Are you allowing the environment to change you? Really monitoring yourself to find out if that environment is changing you, that is not a good place for you to be. But if you have the ability, with the strength of the Holy Spirit, to be both salt and light and change that environment drastically, you need to persist and stick it out. And I, you know, I think there are some fields that uh, in working in the field, just the very job that you would have would be contrary to the will of God against Scripture, right? And uh, I don't think that God wants us to be in those fields. Uh, I, I do think that there are some areas that are interesting in between. Now, Tim Keller in his book, and I'll show you that resource here in a moment, but he writes a lot about this. You know, one of the things I love about what they do in New York City is they embrace the arts in the arts community in New York City into their church. And, um, you know, the people that are on Broadway or in the arts, that sometimes leads to places that might be gray here. And, and, and then I think if it's gray, to default back to the wisdom that you've heard here is, is perfect. You know, is that environment one that it puts me and my walk as a Christian at risk? And uh, you know, there are the resources right there. Uh, Tim's book, Every Good Endeavor, is, uh, is really clear on this subject. So if you want some more resources there, do that. Next question. How do we navigate the ethical boundaries that exist in the workplace about sharing faith as boss to employee or colleague to colleague? I'm going to let you go first, please. had a really interesting experience, actually, with that this week. I'm um, a leadership coach, so I guess in a lot of ways I'm really good at manipulation in a positive way to help people learn what they don't know without them feeling inadequate. And I had a dinner meeting. I was in Houston this week. And with, uh, like, the second guy in charge in the organization I work for. And it's a nonprofit organization. And everyone who I've been socializing an idea around with about starting a prayer group, just in the morning, one day a week, um, before office hours start, I've just been socializing that idea to see if it would be um, of interest of enough people that I could go check out with HR just to make them aware that I was going to do this. Um, but everyone kept saying, well, I'm not sure about this guy. I'm not sure if he's going to be able, you know, if he's going to say okay. Well, that guy and I and another colleague had dinner in Houston on Thursday. And it was interesting. He knew that I had pastoral experience and um, I always wear my cross or my, you know, I always have a symbol on me to kind of start conversation. Well, the other colleague with me, she asked me well, how things were going and um, how work at, you know, how life at church was. And I got to tell her about, you know, coming up here this weekend. And in the process, John was sitting there. He showed me his cell phone. And on his cell phone, the man now who everyone thought was going to say no to doing anything faith-based in the workplace, shows me his cell phone with a series of pictures on it, just beautiful pictures of nature that he took. And then he showed me his poetry that he wrote and the poetry was to God about everything he saw in nature and he goes I don't share this with many people but I wanted you to know that this is just 
something I don't want everyone to know about because he doesn't feel like in his position he can communicate that. But I don't know what it was. It just opened up because I'm open with my faith. He was able to be open with his. And now there's, there's all these, I call them closet Christians that I think that if we're the salt and the light, that we can help bring them out and be connected and we can be a powerful force together rather than individually in the workplace. Amen. Joe, you've got a uh, very important position with a very important company. Mm-hmm. How would you answer this question? Uh, you know, I struggle with it too about sharing your faith, but one thing I'm very clear about, I don't struggle with at all, that as a leader I have an obligation to share my deepest beliefs about how to be successful because all truths come from God's truth. I don't necessarily quote the Bible or share the, the source of it, but I'm obligated to, to share my values and beliefs about how we will be best successful because that is how I believe we will be best successful. Uh, I, you know, an example is, uh, I, teach about leadership at Limited Brands and talk about um, a lot of research about how being of service of others is most fulfilling to people and that you'll be most engaged, most inspired and at your best and grow uh, all that you can if you are in service of others. Where does that come from? It comes from the Lord himself and quoted by Matthew. I don't say that's where it came from necessarily. I don't hide it either, but I share with them the truth that I believe will help them be successful. Okay, good. Next question. So, if all works brings dignity, uh, all work rather brings dignity, regardless of status, how does that challenge the way we, as followers of Jesus, should think about pay structure within our business and the huge differences in pay, especially at the top level? You know, I, I think that um, as we consider the way that God wired us that uh, one of the things I've been challenged about recently, Melissa and I went to a, uh, a session on generous giving. And the, the key challenge that came out of that was this simple truth, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know, should I give all my money away? Seek God's kingdom, right? Seek ye first. Um, so what is it that God's wired you to do? What makes your heart come alive? Where do you find joy? Um, you know, how did he create you? If he created you in a way that you just find joy in working with your hands and being a carpenter and seeing that finished product and blessing people with that, if that makes your heart come alive, I think you need to listen to that, right? Did God put you in that place for a reason to make a difference? And that there is great dignity in that work that God's calling us to. Is there unfairness in the, in the world system? Absolutely. It's just interesting to me as a history buff to look back at preparing for this of how the Greeks looked at that. They looked down on manual labor, right? It was the intelligence jobs that were the ones that, that should get the money. And if you look at what's happening right now, it's unbelievable. I mean, look at all the money that's being printed in uh, Silicon Valley in the technology world. Or in New York City where uh, we're doing some work in, in trying to help people plant churches there. It's the biggest disparity of the people with wealth, the people that have nothing in the world is in that city. And it could be blocks away. And so clearly the world system isn't fair. But if God's called you and gifted you to be in a certain place, I'd be true to that calling and I'd, and I'd go there. And I would seek him first because if he wants you there, he puts you there for a reason. And if it's at the top of the pay scale or at the bottom, then he puts you there for a reason and be faithful to that. I don't know, would you, would you add anything to that? Any, anybody? Well, pay structures is something that you know I get involved with and we think about a lot because uh, 
it goes back to your attribute about ethics and integrity. You can't just rule by the law or by the market, what the market, we typically go by what the market will pay for that kind of job. And then you have to think about, but you want that person to be at their best dealing with the customer and dealing with other people in the company. And so you have to think about what's fair in terms of, you know, how do I want to equip them with health care? How do I want to equip them with, with pay? And yet still make it a job that I can afford to have the person work because they need employment. If you keep all those things in mind, I think we'll be at our, we'll make the best choices. Just wanted to mention too, um, if you're familiar with Daniel Pink's work, um, he has a book called Drive, and he talks about what drives people to be successful. And I know this isn't biblical, but it gives us a little bit of insight, even though it's from the secular uh, domain. Um, there are three things that he identifies, and they are autonomy, the ability to make your own decisions and choices, purpose, what purpose are you serving, uh, and thirdly, mastery, that people will practice something like my husband in the basement, nonstop, not, you know, so I can hear it all the time, the same thing over and over until it gets it just right, right? So mastery, autonomy, and purpose, that's what drives us, not money. They've actually done tons of research around if we paid people a lot more, would we get more out of them? Would they demonstrate more integrity or have more dignity? And the answer is absolutely positively no. Actually, sometimes the more we pay people, the less we get out of them. I'm still, you know, serving here and on a volunteer basis. Melissa's a volunteer. A lot of us volunteer. You all volunteer. Does that mean you're going to put in less effort because you volunteer? I don't think so. You know, I'm having some pain negotiations with people at work right now. Maybe I could bring you in and help me with that. Sure. <laughs> I like the way you said yeah. it. Hey, I'm in education. Yeah. Education yeah, is about we have heart. Time, we have time for one more and then some closing thoughts. Um, why is it uh, that in the U.S. in general, Christians have the reputation of being the worst workers? I think they're referring to the – they put video in parentheses there. So the reputation of the video, I think, from the office uh, parody, of kind of being that pushy-shovey Michael Scott kind of guy. I shall call on my esteemed colleagues. <laughs> Joe, you want to go first? Well, I, I don't know that Christians have the worst reputation, but there's an expectation, surely, that if you're a Christian there, that, um, in the workplace, that there's this, I guess, this obligation to hit somebody over the head with the Bible and to be very preachy and self-righteous. I think that's where it comes from. And I think the only thing we can do about that is... Uh, not act that way and disprove people's beliefs by our own behavior. Instead, be just as Paul said, you know, work as if it's for God, not for men, and show excellence and demonstrate through your own actions that that's not true. You know, I, I would just say um, love him like Jesus and, and just let the pressure be off. You know, God used me today to, uh, to just go and love people and reflect you. Because as you walk alongside people, life happens. Divorces happen. Their parents die. They get ill. Something bad happens to one of their children. And if you are just there for them, to love them and care for them, they will see a discernible difference. And you may even uh, take the risk sometime to say, I've been praying for you. Or can I pray for you? And do it. You're allowed to do that. Um, and just loving people and caring for them. You don't have to put tracks in the uh, restroom, right? Just let them know that they are valuable and they are loved. Love them the way that God loves us. 
that changes the world. It literally does. That's how I came to Christ. You know, I went into my boss's office 30-some years ago and said, you folks care for me in a way that nobody's ever cared for me in my life, including my family. What gives? And he shared the gospel with me. He didn't share it with me before I asked that question. He loved me, but, and that's why I asked that question. So thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Let me... Uh, <clears throat> Let me conclude with a couple of thoughts, and then the worship team is going to sing, and I'll come back for one last word. But, you know, Tim Keller sums it up this way. He says, when your heart comes to hope in Christ, in the future world he is guaranteed, when you're carrying his easy yoke, you finally have the power to work with a free heart. You can gladly accept whatever level of success and accomplishment God gives you in your vocation because he has called you to it. You can work with passion and rest, knowing that ultimately the deepest desires of your heart, including your specific aspirations for your earthly work, will be fulfilled when you reach your true country, the new heavens and the new earth. So at any time, at any place, you can work with joy, satisfaction, and no regrets. The uh, last slide just shows some uh, resources. I know we put it up there a minute ago, but uh, Every Good Endeavor is a wonderful book by Tim Keller. Uh, Henry Blackaby's book, uh, God in the Marketplace, Oz Hillman's book, Nine to Five Window. If you want more information in this area, I would refer you to all of those uh, great stuff. Remain standing. We're going to close in just one more worship song in a moment. But let us remember the words of the Apostle Paul that we saw earlier. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Our work is a sacred and holy calling into a world desperately broken and in need of a love of a Savior. They are watching us. Oz Hillman writes this, Jesus wanted the same love that God had for Jesus to be in each of us. When this love is in us, we are drawn to each other with a common mission. The walls fall down. The independent spirit is broken. Competition is destroyed. Satan's accusations are thwarted. Our love for each other is manifest to the world around us. Lost souls begin to seek this love that is so foreign to them. May it be so in our workplace. Some of us will be around for prayer back here or questions if you have any. And uh, let's worship together one final song. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.